uh, I don't normally sit down, um, but I'm doing this because uh, uh, this is a message on rest. And so I'm literally physically making myself sit down to just be in this place because I want to just be caught up in the beauty of this word that is a little tricky, but it's so full of power and life. So uh, what we've been discussing, we've been talking about this letter uh, written to a group of people that are going through it. They're exhausted. They have been beaten, persecuted. They've lost loved ones. And they're asking the question, is following Jesus even worth it? I don't know if you've ever had that question in your heart or mind before. In fact, I'm, I'm guessing you have at some point in time going, is this thing real? Because this thing is hard and it's difficult. And they were walking through it and they were in danger of giving up. And God wrote this incredible letter to this group of people that just needed to know, like, is this thing real? And so if they're going through all of it, if they're walking through, we've talked the last couple of weeks, they were dealing with issues of trusting in God and unbelief in their own hearts and they're wrestling and, and they're exhausted. What do they need? What do you need when you're exhausted? You want rest. Is there anything better than when you've like busted it over the weekend, you know, to like get your house together or you have a house project or maybe you've had a huge project at work and you come home at the end of the day? Is there anything than just being able to sit down for a minute and like breathe in for a moment and just get rest? I mean, it's, it's like therapeutic, right? It's like, oh, or some of you, do you love your bed? Some of you love, probably love your bed. Some of you hate your bed because your bed's horrible. All right, but you're not willing to spend the money on it. That's okay. That's cool. All right, but some of you love your bed. You're just like, when that, you slide into that place and it just like, oh, and you just breathe out for a moment. Isn't it good? Man, this is a weird thing where rest becomes, can become so life-giving. And the scripture actually wants to just speak to that thing in our heart. Why is this, why can rest be, so good. Because the truth is, this concept, rest, has been fundamental to God's heart for us from the beginning, from the very beginning. And in a moment, we're going to take it all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two. And we're going to see that God, you know, God creates the universe in six days, but on a seventh day, he rested. He rested. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then God takes this additional step so that when he's revealing his glory and majesty and his beauty and his perfection through the law, as he's showing how other than, that's what the law is, right? Is just the declaration of how other than God is and how much we, if as much as we would want to be that because of sin, we can't have that. And so in this declaration, God gives these core 10 commandments and he goes line by line. And it talks, if you're familiar, if you got to grow up in church, you know, thou shalt not steal and kill and do all these t tough things or bad things. And, right? and the typical way we think about the Ten Commandments is, all right, here's the list of the stuff we should either do or not do. Just make sure you don't do these things because they're bad. Or make sure you keep up with these things because they seem good. But the, there's a problem with thinking and reading and looking and watching these Ten Commandments this way, because there's a more real, meaningful, rare perspective to just be able to come to these commandments and just say, hey, I actually just 
want to trust these commandments because they're actually going to bring me life. They're going to actually move my heart towards maximum flourishing. It's more than, it has to be, more than here's the do's and the don'ts. Make sure you don't do these things. He's saying, if you'll follow me in this and trust me in this, you get to flourish. Flourish wherever you go. That's at the point, that's at the heart, that's at the meaning of these things. More than just don't do the bad things. There's something that I've got for you so that you're flourishing in life, which is huge ramifications, right? Massive ramifications for our life. And what's even more massive is in the middle of this list of don't commit adultery and don't take life, don't murder. And all of these like powerful realities, he goes, and also remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then you sit back and you're like, huh? I mean, come on. I get the killing. That's probably not a good idea. Probably shouldn't steal. Get that fundamentally. What about this thing called keeping the Sabbath? What are the broader implications for what God's actually saying when he gives this to us? What's, what's the, what is he trying to actually get at? Well, I love what uh, one of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, says. He says it this way. He says, a society that encourages overwork is as brutalizing, as depersonalizing, and as dehumanizing as a society that encourages stealing, adultery, killing. Overwork is in the same list with those things. This idea that I can just keep on going, I gotta get out there and I gotta kill, I gotta make, I've gotta produce, I've gotta create, I gotta do all the things. That idea that doing that without stopping is as harmful to the human soul as the list of the Ten Commandments. And he wants to pull this front and center just to let that sink in. God's given this fundamental way of experiencing maximum human flourishing. He's addressing this concept of overwork, of keeping on going and keeping the wheels spinning all the time, that it's as much about our health and vitality as any one of those core laws from the Ten Commandments. So he's trying to pull it up. To which everyone might say, you might even actually like groan inwardly, like, oh gosh, do we have to do a message on rest for the love, please? I mean, do we have to do, do we have to talk about the Sabbath? It's such a hard concept. You know, this is America. It's 2022. We just go. We gotta go. There's things to do. Pace of life. Do we really have to talk about this? We live in a world, listen, we live in a world that values go. I think you ever had a conversation with somebody and like just even someone you don't even really know that well. Hey, how's it going? Doing great, man, yeah. Just busy. We wear it like a badge. Man, just so busy. Just got so much going on. So great. And we're like, oh yeah, you're busy. I think you're great, you know? Busy. Moving. Go, 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 go. The truth is, because of this value for like movement and going, we're, end up, we've been, we're one of the most overworked, most workaholic, if you will, societies the world has ever seen. Moving at a pace the world has never seen before. And the question is, how do we get here? How do we, how do we get here? 
How do we end up in a place where there's a value for just constant movement, constant work, never resting, keep moving, gotta kill it, gotta go get it, gotta produce. How do we get there? And how does it hit with this concept of rest that God has for us? One, how do we get there? A couple things I just wanted to point to. One, technology. Let's just talk about it quick. Now, the church does a great job of vilifying technology. All right, we like to point at it and go, man, it's the worst. So hypocritically, because let's be honest, the church is using technology. We're live streaming right now, okay? So let's not throw technology under the bus as if it's this evil thing. But here's what it has done. Technology has had this way of coming in and going, listen, I gotta let you know, there's a buzz or a ding that's about to happen. Probably already happened like six times in service already, right? It's already happened. A bu- the buzz or the ding is coming. And you better keep up with what's going on. It's just constant. The constancy of that is taking place. And what technology has done is helped shrink the world. And that has really been amazing in some ways, right? At the very least, you can FaceTime Nana anytime you want to. It's great. You can be like right there having a face-to-face conversation. Thank God, thank God for technology. It's really cool. For the gospel, church is going forward. The Bible has become digital. I, I, I get to be a part of trips where we were smuggling Bibles into China. I don't even know if I can say that on live stream. It's probably going to, they're going to be coming after me anyway. But, you know, <laughs> smuggling Bibles into China. Guess what? You do it digitally now, man. It's amazing. People who had literally one page of the Bible, you get to give them a whole Bible. It's so exciting. So I thank God for technology. It's shrunk the world. But in the same way, because of that, guess what? Everybody's competing for everything all the time. And we see it in our jobs. And so from a work standpoint, whatever product you're producing, you're competing with almost everyone else all over the place. And for all sorts of reasons, technology has also just made work more domineering and more dominant in our lives. I mean, even two years ago, when literally everything got shut down, what did we do? We just got on Zoom and kept on balling. We just kept on, I mean, like, hey, we're gonna keep this thing moving, so let's get on Zoom, let's do it. So, I, and again, I thank God we could do that. It was really tough, business owners and stuff like that. So I thank God for technology, but let's take a step back and just go, here's what it has the ability to do. It has the ability to keep us going. So we're not anti-technology, but we do have to, make, uh, we have to become aware of the world that it's making for us where we can constantly be moving all the time, never resting. Number two, there was a cultural shift that began to take place. And so if you go back to just kind of a traditional societies or the way that we grew up, and especially prior to technology, what you and I got our, our value and our identity from relationship. It's who you were known, right? It was being a part of a family or being part of a community. In other words, your identity and your value was being a son or a daughter or a spouse or a neighbor or a family or some kind of people group. That's how we identified ourselves. But we're now moved into this individualistic culture in which the way that we identify ourselves is so much more just about who we are. And listen, there can be a blessing in that of not necessarily having to be connected to a people group, right? Again, there's a blessed, potential blessing that's there, but there's also this thing that part of our value starts to come where our identity is about what we achieve, what we produce, what we earn. 
So our whole world revolves around what am I individually able to accomplish? It happens through achievement. And our work is the way in which we now get our value. I don't know, this is, I'd say this is, this is especially for dudes. It may, may be true for the ladies as well, but anytime you meet a guy, you get together, you connect, you get to know him, and yeah, who are you, and what do we do? We start talking about what we do. We talk about what we do. And I'm saying that what we do is bad. I'm just saying it's how we identify ourselves. This is what I do. And I'm thankful for work. By the way, we're not out to vilify work. God worked six straight days and then he gave himself. He didn't even take two-day weekend. All right, God's good. All right, he knows. He's got the rhythm. But he did say, hey, there's something I care about for your soul and I want you to pay attention. To this. I'm, it's so important. It's gonna be in the list of 10. We live in this culture. It's got all the technology. We're constantly having to move. And now we're finding our worth and value and identity in just constantly what we can produce. And it feels exhausting. It feel exhausting. You might have so much identified yourself with what you can accomplish that it's like, well, I, I don't even want to live in a world where I can't, or I, I don't identify my worth and value through what I can accomplish. But that feeling can begin to cripple us. You might even be saying here, listen, pastor, I take my days off. I'm sure to get my vacation days in. I'm good about taking my weekends or whatever time is owed to me. But for some reason, I still feel tired. I can get my days off but I still feel tired. That's what I believe this writer wants to begin to reach into for every one of us. Because this concept and issue of rest goes way, way, way past whether or not you get your Fridays or Saturdays or Sundays off. And he's saying there's something on the interior I wanna begin to point to. And we're gonna see in this scripture that there's more to rest than just an absence of activity on a day of the week or the weekend. And in fact, we get, see rest described in a couple of different ways, and I just wanna break it down, and then we're gonna be done this morning, okay? There are, the, the, this writer's gonna give us two primary ways we experience rest, all right? You ready for this? Two primary ways, and then we're just gonna break down what the ramifications are in our life, all right? That's how we'll do. Number one, there's an actual physical rest that comes from true freedom, true freedom, a physical rest in our bodies that comes from true freedom. Verse three says that, yes, you follow, if you follow Jesus, you get to enter into this rest that God has for you, that the people of God, that Israel missed. They were in the desert. Remember, we said last week, if you were here, Psalm chapter 95 is being quoted here in this scripture. I love, by the way, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, so beautiful. He's quoting Psalmist 95 saying, hey, those people were going through the wilderness. They rebelled in their hearts against God and they missed out on the rest that he had for them. They missed it. They didn't get to experience this beautiful rest, this promised land. They didn't get to have it. It was painful. What was that rest, right? What was the rest of the promised land? It is to remember that you're not a slave anymore. You're not a slave anymore. Think about this. I want you to think about this. 
Israel was in the, under captivity 430 years. 430 years. You know how old America is? I don't know, like 250-something. I, I, I did the math and I forgot the number. It's like 250-something years old. Something like that. Somebody do the math. 2022 minus 1776. 246. Somebody, y'all are math whizzes. 248. It's awesome. Thank you, God, for math people. In Jesus' name. 248 years. About halfway through what would have been their captivity in Israel. This is generations. Now listen to me. Generation after generation after generation after generation. Guess what slaves don't get to do? Have a day off. Slaves don't get days off. Slaves are slaves. And the promised land was being able to look them in the eye and be able to say, brother, sister, come into freedom where you get to choose to rest. Slaves don't get to choose to rest. What do they do? They serve at the master's hand. And he's saying, people who are truly free in Christ get the freedom to choose rest. If you want to say that I'm free in Christ, hear this. Real, authentic freedom in Christ, we get to experience by saying, I choose to rest. That's one of the beauties that I get. It's the ability to say, listen, I'm not a cog in a machine. I'm not a slave to the materialistic culture that I live in. I'm not slave to the identity system of the society that I am in as they were in Egypt. I'm not a slave to the identity of the society demands upon me. Rather, I'm declaring my freedom in Christ. I'm not a slave. I choose to rest. Rest is the expression that we've been set free by God. It actually says I'm not a slave to anything. I'm not a slave to someone's perception of how much I'm killing it, how awesome I'm doing, how cool I am, how great I can produce. I thank God for our culture has done beautiful and great in many things. But hear this, being a slave to getting out there and killing it and make it happen and producing is destructive. And he's saying, hey, there's an actual rest you can have by just remembering that the promised land was the freedom finally to be able to choose to rest. It's actually a matter of deep, deep, deep faith and believing. This day that we give to the Lord to say, I ain't doing work today. I'm giving my life to my king. That's a beautiful, powerful thing. That's what defines me. I can choose rest because I'm not bound by needing to achieve in order to feel like I've got my life together. Number two, there's a soul rest that comes from just God-breathed contentment. And this is the piece that I really want to lean into. You go back to chapter four, verse three and four. It says, listen, his works were finished from the foundation of the world, meaning God finished it all from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. You go back to Genesis chapter two, verse two, and what do you find? God creates the whole thing, and then he sets back and he goes, 
on the seventh day, he rested. He finished it all perfectly, completely. And then he sat back and said, I rest. Now, does God need rest? Does God ever get exhausted? You go, no way, he couldn't be exhausted. He's had to put up with me for the last 40 years. You know what I'm saying, right? No. Does God get exhausted? No. No. He doesn't get exhausted. All right? You know, you, listen, we can't even do vacation and not be exhausted. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, we have four kids. All right, we, you, before we moved here, so we could go down to the beach, six, six and a half hours away. Thank God for the Florida coast, just right like down the road. It feels like down the road because we're from Texas, all right? And my wife so loved the beach, we were gonna go to the beach for vacation, okay? But you don't go to Texas beaches for vacation because, listen, if you're watching from the Texas beach, we love you. But that's kind of a different kind of beach. So just love it. But there's a real beach. And it's like, listen, and also when you're in Texas, just... When you're in Texas, you got to still drive nine hours from where we were. You still have to drive nine hours to get the beach. So if we're going to drive that long, might as well just go all the way over to Florida. So we did, right? Pack up four kids, all in, you know, half of them in Pampers, packing up all the packing, you know, the packing plays and all the stuff. You just go and just try to get on that sugar sand beach down there in Florida. It's so amazing, right? They, they call it like uh, Franklin Part Two or whatever down there, you know, like you go down to 30A or whatever. It's great. It's awesome. It's amazing. Listen, we have memories galore. I love that time with our family. I treasure it. The memories, my daughter who hated the sand, she was two years old. She hated the sand. And so the only place she was cool was in my arms. She like, I have a picture of her falling asleep on my chest. I would go back to those days right now. Okay. But let's not confuse that with rest. All right, church. Okay. You get back from vacation, you're like, I just desperately need a vacation from my vacation, okay? We want to know rest. We want and crave rest. We can't even rest in our resting. God doesn't need it at all. What's going on with God choosing on a seventh day to rest? Is in the context, you step back and you look, and he looks at it and he goes, I'm satisfied, and this is good. You go back to the context, you want to know what real rest is? It's the, the ability to take something that you're working on and to lay it down. Listen, the world was going to go on after this. God finished on the seventh day. It was going to keep moving forward. There were still things for God to do, but he had the ability to go, I'm going to lay this down because in and who God is is what? Rest. Listen to me. Every good thing you've ever tasted or experienced in this life comes from who God is. For him to step back and say, I'm pleased in what I'm doing and I'm going to lay it down. There is a soul rest. There's two levels, right? That we need the physical rest that comes from the promised land where we can just get to choose. Listen, I'm not going to be a part of a society that's saying grind, 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 not in that way. But there's also this place where I say, listen, I'm made in God's image. I am made in God's image. I can get all the sleep and I can get all the vacations. But I won't have rest until my heart finds its satisfaction in who I am and I am God's. There's a soul rest that we're all craving for. 
There's a deep inner rest that it enables us to be able to put our work down and walk away from it and completely be at rest. That deep restlessness that we have to try to find a cure for is the need, for that need to produce or prove ourselves, produce for us or prove ourselves, right? It's that unhappiness, that restlessness that we experience, that unhappiness with who we are. That feeling like I'm not okay. I'm not acceptable, that whisper that we hear. And we're working and working and working and working to try to prove ourselves to others. Might even be trying to prove yourself to God because that happens. That's the deep, deep restlessness that we desperately need a cure for. And we have a cure. He says, listen, there's a work for you and I to do underneath all the things that's going to lead you to true, authentic rest. And it's one that vacations and sleep can't cure. And it's under the surface. And here's what he says. So the, that's the question. How do we actually get rest? That sounds great, Pastor. Appreciate that. How do we actually get rest? Hebrews chapter four. Look at, look at what he says. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, speaking of Israel who missed their chance for rest. In other words, let's actually enter into this rest. I don't want the sin of restlessness tearing me up inside. So how do we enter into it? Well, can I just be gut level? I'm gonna be gut level honest with you. I've been in full-time ministry for more than two decades. Uh, I love full-time, but I should have vocational ministry for two decades. I've been doing spiritual leadership since I was 14 years old. I have been trying to follow after the Lord and listen and lead well. And what I'm about to say, I'm just now waking up to. I'm 45 years old, gonna be 46 pretty quick here. And I'm just now waking up to this reality, what I'm saying. So I want you to dial in with me for a moment. I've been in the church a long time, but this has often eluded me. I don't want you to hear this. You know what the answer to actually entering the rest is there is a real work that has to take place where you and I get laid bare before the Lord and we let him have every area of our life where we get wide open every feeling, every emotion, every trial, every shortcoming, every victory, all of it wide open to the Lord. He wants access to every single tiny little part of you and me. There's no place God doesn't want full, powerful, life-giving access to you and me. He wants access to, to come in so that we are known, 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 
And then when we are truly known, we get to discover the truth of his radical love for us. And then and only then can you and I find real rest. This is what the scripture is actually pointing to. If you go to verse 12, it says, let's enter, it says, strive to enter into the rest so that we don't miss it like Israel did. What does it say? Verse 12, very next verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts, here it is, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And hear this, no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must, to whom we must give an account. Now listen, you've likely heard the scripture celebrated as the power of the word of God. And it absolutely 110% is a celebration of what God's word is actually able to do in our lives. But if you wanna bring it back into the context of what this writer is actually saying, he's saying you wanna enter into the rest of God. It only actually comes when you and I get cut to the deep, deepest place in our soul by the living God and his word. When it has access to everything, the double-edged blade that can sink and cut its way through to the very, hear this, intention and thought of the heart to the deepest place in us. It'll show and reveal your motivations, my motivations in everything. Now, let me just talk to you for a minute in real terms. This is frightening. Just for a moment. If we're just being gut level honest, this gets down to the deepest, deepest. What he's saying is, I want to go down to the deepest, deepest place in you. Because often what we talk about is, oh, God, help us in the motivation for the sin that we have and the ways that we struggle. What this writer's saying is, not just the places of sin in you and me, let's get down to the motivations for why you do the good things you do. Because so many of us often want to self-justify and self-protect and make sure we put on a good face and be the good Christian person. I've been, listen, been in church my whole life, all right? I thank God for my parents. I had godly parents, all right? I came out of the womb, Jesus. I was there. I was all in from the moment, Okay. Some of you grew up in that family. I thank God for that, okay? But listen to me. God so radically cares. He wants to go past you doing the good thing and your good sermons and your good worship music and your good uh, quiet times, and he wants to get down to the very thoughts and intentions in you. He wants to get you and I laid bare. Nothing hiding. The sin stuff, the motivation stuff. Because the truth is, you can get all the vacations and you can get all the sleep, but you and I won't have rest until he has that. Until he gets that. Until you and I can do that conversation. And I'm, I'm tearing up because, man, the Lord just stir my heart in the season of my own life to where we're just going. I need to talk about everything with you, God. Nothing gets off limits. 
why I do what I do, why I think what I think. The word of God has this way of coming in. His heart, his truth gets down to the real you, not the fake you, not the church you, not the one that you want to present to everyone, not the one that you want to be five years from now. But he wants to cut down to the real authentic you. And I'm just saying, that's a little bit frightening at times. And maybe you guys are further along in this than me, but the Lord's asking me to open up in a whole new way. I've been doing this thing a long time and there's still more that God wants to do. But here's what he's saying. Don't miss the rest like Israel did. Don't miss the promised land. I care about you too much. That's why the writer's saying it. Why is he saying it? I care about you too much for you to miss the rest that comes from being laid bare. Here's what it says. Naked and exposed. <laughs> That's not talking about physical nakedness, so just chill. All right. Thank God for that. What is he saying? Nothing between you and me. Nothing. No cover. No thing that would keep you and me separated from him. No thing that would keep you and our, you and I and our, and why we do what we do separated from him. That you and I can't get to deep here, this spiritual rest until we get spiritually naked and exposed before the Lord. And man, that sounds like a awesome, great word and also a little just terrifying. But here's what's so powerful. He is the only being in the universe. It's safe to be that way perfectly with. I think listen, we get a picture of that with spouses and families and all that stuff, right? I thank God for those shadows that we get in this life. But listen to me. He's the safest place to go with your realness. He's the only one who literally has never judged you because he took all of it, all your imperfections, all of your shortcomings, all of your failings, all of your motivations to do the good things that were really about self. And he gets to take all of it and he put it all on his son so that you and I could just come and be known. And then hear this, at the end of the day, to be able to breathe and rest, for our soul to be at rest, for us to wake up not striving, not producing, not to show how awesome we are, not to fix all the things, but just to be able to come and have the glad heart of a father over his children. That's what he's calling us to. If you go back to Genesis 2, and we'll just finish with this. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they, just, they go, God, your ways, credit, we want to be our own gods. 
and what happens the, the, the minute they take the bite. Take the bite of the apple. What's exposed? They all of a sudden knew that they were naked. And all of a sudden, that wasn't okay anymore. Why were they able to be naked and unashamed before the fall? Why? Because they were absolutely at rest with who they were. Totally at rest. Totally an authentic relationship with God. And the minute they turned from him, it ruined it. But here's the beauty of what Jesus did. Jesus came so that we could have that back to be real with him and to have rest. And that's what God wants for you and for me. I want to take a couple of minutes to lean into it. We'll finish with this. Uh, Keller puts it this way. He says, listen, unless you recognize the experience of spiritual nakedness, of feeling like I'm not okay, I have to do something to prove I'm okay. I have to do something to cover it, something to assure myself and other people that I'm okay. You won't understand your own drivenness. You won't understand your restlessness. It has to be revealed to you. What the author, what Dr. Keller's saying there is, hey, the thing that you can't get rest from even if you get your days off. It's coming from a restlessness who the Lord wants to have access to and say, hey, I just, I'm wanting to talk about the things that are on deep inside of me. Will you come to me? Will you open yourself to me? Will you give me access? Because I have rest for you. I have rest for you. That's what I want to give. Listen, doesn't mean that you and I swear off work. Work is good. God gives us work. I'm so thankful for it. We get to put our hands to something. We get to partner with God. But the best work you and I will do will come when we experience raw, real, authentic rest that comes from Him. So let's have it. You guys stand with me. We'll finish. I just believe the Lord wants to breathe rest over you. God breathes contentment. But we have to do a little bit of work here and we're just gonna open up our hearts. Will you just do, give me three minutes to just do this work with the Lord. And if it's helpful for you, you can put your hands out. You don't have to do that, but I just, let's come before the Lord. And I'm just gonna give us a couple of minutes. Would you come before the Lord right now? And would you just make this, pray this prayer, Lord, I'm inviting you and the truth of your word to pierce to the deepest part of me right now. Here's the invitation. Cutting through all the things you have access, I'm giving this to you. If you are afraid of that, just tell the Lord that. I'm afraid of this, of giving this to you. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I feel fear, whatever it is. Tell him that right now.
And then we just make this confession. Lord, I need your rest. Come close to me now and give me your rest. Here's what I need to lay down and I need to give to you. Some core motivations. Would you just ask the Lord, what do I need to lay down right now? I'm hiding maybe in this area or I'm striving in this area or I'm afraid I'm not enough on my own. Whatever it is, I'm afraid I don't measure up. Whatever it is, lay that down. Would you just lay that down? Give it to him right now. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. I don't want to carry this. I don't want to carry a facade. I want to enter into real rest. So I'm giving this to you today. And I may have to give it over to you tomorrow, but today here's my heart. Here are my motivations. Give it to him. Here are my fears. Give it to him. You have full access. Jesus, make us a church, make us a people who give you full access. I'm renewing my heart this morning, full access, no hiding, laid bare before you to enter into your rest. Thank you that you are the safest place to go ever, safest place. You're such a good father. You care for us. You're so tender and kind. You're so merciful and you took all of our judgment and you put it on your son. So we come freely. We thank you, God. We'll have a few prayer partners that are ready just to partner with you, pray with you for anything God's doing in your life. I'm just going to close this out here. Benediction. You guys go and hang out. High five the people that are coming in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you now and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who is the rest giver, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you. We'll see you next week.